Welcome to the Embody Podcast. This is Candice Wu. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to introduce our guest speaker for the day. This guest is someone I'm connected to in Chicago, Illinois, in the States, and I've had the pleasure of just watching her practice grow and also admiring her unique style. This guest is Sarah Buino, and she is a licensed clinical social worker and the founder of Head Heart Therapy. She's also a certified addictions counselor, a certified Daring Way facilitator, and adjunct faculty member at Loyola University. She holds a master's degree from Loyola University in Chicago and specializes in shame and substance use disorders. And from an early age, Sarah began to share the stage with her mother, who was a professional singer, and she sings in a local Chicago band on weekends. Sarah integrates her knowledge of complementary healing modalities such as music, yoga, Reiki, and the chakra system into her clinical practice to help her clients enhance their authenticity. And she is also the host of a podcast called Conversations with a Wounded Healer, which examines the role of one's own healing while being a caregiving professional. And so in this conversation with Sarah, we discuss her story around kicking and screaming to be able to be my own self, how she started her unique therapy practice, We talk about perfectionism, shame, and the healing vibration in the expression of music being visible in her own choice and how she nourishes herself to be able to be who she is in the world. Before we jump in, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Soul Body Women's Retreat that will adventure in October 2018. This retreat is led by me and it is a labor of love. It's infused with deep healing prowess and all the different tools that I have learned over the years and embodied myself so that each woman can bring their specific intention and or challenges to the table and we can work with it in a deep and authentic way so that they can find their own freedom with it and embody what they would like to in their lives. A very special aspect of this retreat this year is that there will be more family and spiritual constellations healing work. Family Constellations gives us a way to work on our healing without having to talk about it very much. It's completely embodied. If you're interested in this or learning more or in finding out about future retreats, you can find out more at candicewu.com retreats. And your support in sharing my retreats or joining a retreat helps me to make more healing albums, content, and more podcast episodes. And for that, I am deeply grateful. Thank you. And without further ado, here is Sarah Buino. So today I want to welcome Sarah Buino, who is of Head Heart Therapy. And I have just loved getting to know Sarah. And I'm thrilled to have you today on this show, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you. I am very happy to be here. Thank you. So um, just for our audience, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and um, what your gift is in the world. Sure. So... Where do I start? I do a little bit of everything. So Head Heart Therapy is the name of my practice. We are currently 14 therapists strong, and uh, we mostly specialize in addiction. And the tagline for Head Heart is unique therapy for unique people, because I really wanted to create a place where people who consider themselves not necessarily fitting inside the normal box, uh, where they would feel comfortable going to therapy. Uh, I remember just being told in grad school, like, you know, you got to take out your nose ring for interviews and hide your tattoos. And, and I was like, you know what, that's, that's crap. Can I cuss on here or no? (laughs) Yes, you can. (laughs) Okay. That's bullshit is what I really wanted to say then. (laughs) Um, And 
I just thought there needs to be a place for people who look like me to come have therapy. And so that's kind of the thought process behind it. And a lot of our therapists also specialize in additional healing modalities such as yoga, tai chi, reiki, hypnosis, because uh, we really try to be holistic and and offer some things that may not be offered in traditional psychotherapy. So that's head heart. And I also am an adjunct professor at Loyola. I teach uh, a couple alcohol and drug related classes there. I currently run groups in several different treatment centers. And I have a podcast too, which you were just on. Yeah, your podcast is fantastic. And I'm, thank you. I'm, you're welcome. I'm so grateful that you had that centering in yourself to see that what you needed to do was just be yourself and put that out into the world and that there would be people like you. And that's exactly what I see. Like you're, you're just putting yourself out there in such an authentic way increasingly. And that's been an inspiration to me, Sarah. Thank you. It's funny. I'd like to say that I kind of like opened up to it slowly, but I really have been kicking and screaming my whole life to be able to be my authentic self. And it really wasn't until I became my own boss where I just, I could without consequence. (laughs) So really, you know, it's all a product of my own narcissism. Maybe I don't know, not narcissism, but just this desire to continue to live out loud without, I guess I was going to say without judgment, but people can still judge. I just don't give a fuck if they do. Right. I totally understand that feeling. And in a way, you have to do that just to be yourself out there in the world because there can be so much. Mm-hmm. I just got done listening to your song that you put on your blog. And I just I oh. felt so touched. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> it was about perfectionism. And yeah, um, yeah and it, what you wrote about it was... It sounds a bit like what we're talking about is you've been accused of showing off all your life, Mm -hmm. and yet this sharing wasn't about that. It was about communicating, expressing in a way that could touch people differently. Thanks. I forgot. It's funny. People bring that up every once in a while. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot I did that. But yeah, I did. (laughs) I was At the time, I was intending to do it regularly, so it made sense. So it's kind of a weird little anomaly sitting there on my blog now, but... I mean, I've always been able to express myself through singing in a way that I couldn't always with speaking. And so that's part of why I did that. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And it feels so encouraging, especially I just know that you touch so many people with how you put yourself out there. I'm wondering from you as you're doing your work out there and encouraging your whole team, what do you feel is the key to healing or? And I can't say the key because that's just such a big question, right? But what's one thing that you've been thinking about in terms of healing or therapy that is just so powerful for people? You know, I think what's been coming up for me lately, I feel like I've been presented with people who struggle with denial in their lives. And when I go back to my family of origin, that's that's really like the main struggle that I had in my family of origin is that there was so much denial around things not being the way that probably mostly my mother wanted them to be, that feelings were then disavowed for that reason. And so it's interesting that it's kind of, it's coming around in my life again. And what I've recognized is that denial is this mechanism to dissociate from shame, really. And mm. I, th- I think that probably 
one of my greatest strengths was getting into Brene Brown's work as early as I did, not only for my career professionally, but also personally, because doing the shame work now for, gosh, I think it's probably been about eight years since I started reading her work. And that's, it's my way of life is recognizing when I'm in shame. Like I, I was having a discussion with, with a friend actually. So a friend had a birthday party and my, our other mutual friend is sober and she decided not to go to the birthday party. And I was like, Oh no, I want you to be there. And then I went to the party and I'm not drinking right now. Um, and so I was totally sober. And afterwards I sent her a message and was like, Hey, you would have been, you would have totally done fine at the party. It would have been great. There's no big deal. And next time, blah, 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 blah. And she sends me a message back and she's like, actually not quite right. You know, I, I don't want to go. I realize I don't like parties and Mm -hmm. it's not about the alcohol. It's not about this and that. And the feeling of shame that came over me when she said that was, it was just like, you're a bad friend, mm. you know, and and I've gotten so good at recognizing the shame really, really quickly because I started feeling this icky feeling inside and my initial instinct would be to get pissed at her for, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know what my irrational mind would be like, you know, that she had done wrong in any way, but the initial reaction is to kind of run away from that feeling. But instead, I messaged her back and I'm like, I fucked it up. I am really sorry. And we had this lovely conversation about the whole concept of rift and repair and how we are deepening our friendship by being able to have conversations like that. And that is a gift of being able to really recognize and be resilient from my shame. So I think that is a major key to healing. Absolutely. Like that, that just recognizing that it's happening and that way you found a way out of it. And then it brought you such closeness and connection with your friend. That's huge. And in the work of shame, have you found anything that's just been really interesting for you or surprising? The surprising thing, I guess, is the things that might cause me shame or the things that might cause other people shame. And the thing, the thing that I always you know, tell my clients is that shame is in the eye of the beholder, right? Just like beauty. And I can't tell you whether or not you should be experiencing shame given any situation. And I mean, we can't tell anybody what feelings they should be experiencing, period. But especially shame, I think we, in order to A, try to fix it or B, try to push it away. We, Oh, you shouldn't feel ashamed about that, right? Because my friend actually started to kind of do that and recognize like, no, that's not, that's not the right thing to say in response to that. But she had said something like, I don't want you to feel that way because I don't feel that that's necessary, but I understand that that's your process. So I think that's really surprising. <laughs> what Like one of the really stupid things that causes me a lot of shame is driving. When I, whenever somebody criticizes my driving and you probably know this via Facebook, but I have a purple car right now Mm -hmm. and I, I've realized how fucking visible I am. I can't drive like a dick ever (laughs) because everybody sees me and like, I hear people all the time say, oh, I see you driving around all the time. And I'm like, shit, I can't even pick my nose in my car anymore. (laughs) Like I'm so visible, right? Completely. It's just really funny how whenever, you know, if somebody honks at me, like insinuating that I've done something wrong, I feel shame. 
And that, you know, logically, it's such a ridiculous thing because I'm not a bad person if I make a mistake driving, but it elicits that. I completely know that feeling. And when I lived in Chicago and in Michigan, I experienced that. And the thing is, um, when I volunteered in Sri Lanka, I think it was maybe eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, I heard them just beep at everything. They were beeping at cows in the middle of the road. They're beeping at people walking. They're be- and oh, not, man. but not in the same way. Like the beep had a different feel. Um, it was just like boop, boop, boop. <laughs> you know? Oh wow! And we and I experience a different feel of energy behind someone's beep in in Chicago, yeah, especially. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah, for validating that. Cause it, and someone was even saying at this party I was at last night that we drive like dicks in Chicago. And I agree. I agree. I've become a true Chicagoan. Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand that. And just to add a little more flair or flavor in Bali, Indonesia, where I am now, sometimes the beeping is, well, there, there are different driving rules here. It's that you're responsible for everything that's in front of you. Even if someone zooms out of the side and they don't see you and slash they don't look because they know you're responsible. Oh my. Like motorbike. Is that it? Yeah. People on motorbikes will... So huh. the driving's on the left side. And so they'll uh-huh. turn from from my left, they'll turn onto the road, taking a left onto the road and not look at all. But they'll stay right at the edge. So you always have wow. to see, right? So the beeping comes into play where if you want them to know you're next to them or right behind them, you do a little beep. And sometimes oh. they beep back. And I I wasn't sure what to take of that for a while. It was like, are they mad at me? Did I right. did I do something wrong? Did they not like the what beep? What does that mean? Huh? After a while I started to think they were just replying. Like, yep, gotcha. Oh, it's just a conversation. That's cute. Yeah. So it's so interesting that I mean, I think that there's something to the shame in Chicago at least, but um <laughs> Just relating to you and your story here. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. So you also did the Brene Brown Daring, was it the Daring Greatly program? Uh, Yeah. Certified Daring Way Facilitator. Yes. Yeah. And are you doing that work now? Yeah. That's what I mostly use in the treatment centers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there, she has two curriculums, one called Daring Greatly and one called Rising Strong, um, or it's the Daring Way, actually, the Daring Way and Rising Strong. And so I use those curriculums in drug and alcohol treatment centers right now. Yeah, I recently saw a quote that was requoted by a friend of mine that addiction is about relationships and it just felt like it hit the right spot for me. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Well, I think, I I wonder if that's in response or in correlation with Johan Hari's TED Talk. Um, It's called Everything We Know About Addiction is Wrong. And he wrote a book called Chasing the Scream. I can't remember when that came out, but it's been several years now. And he basically talks about addiction treatment in the United States and how we're doing it wrong, because a lot of it is about punishment and consequences. And he says at the end of his TED Talk, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. And I do, I do hugely believe that it is, it is absolutely about connection. I had a supervisor tell me, when I was in training in my internship at, at Harborview, he said, everybody needs accountability, structure, and support. Cover your ass. 
cover your ass in early sobriety. Uh, and I wholeheartedly subscribe to that with with my clients. And I'm always encouraging them to create that accountability structure and support no matter what that looks like, because that does seem to be a huge antidote. Yeah, it makes sense. There's in the work I'm doing with family constellations, I can see where it's the disconnection that causes even more uh, Oof, withdrawal yeah. into addiction. Mm-hmm. And it becomes this placeholder for where the connection was lost. Right. And I I think, too, it's not just, again, kind of going back to shame and denial. It's not just disconnection with each other, but disconnection with ourself. And I I think that's what that's what shame, I guess, intends to do if we can kind of personify it as a as a thing that is trying to accomplish a goal. I think it is trying to accomplish disconnection. And when we're not able to tolerate the shame, then Often denial is one of the defense mechanisms that gets in the way of knowing our true self. And that's what I see with a lot of my clients is a lack of knowing of their true selves. And it's it's funny because I think in in general therapy, you know, we really talk about, you know, oh, the client has all the answers and yada, yada. And I, I think I think that's true. I do believe that everybody has the answer inside them. But I the most of the people that I work with have no idea that that's. that it's in there and they don't have any idea how to access their authentic voice. I guess that's what I try to do using what I know about human behavior and as well as like kind of intuition. And I'm just going to say psychic ability because I think all therapists have that, you know, that spidey sense. I like to call it (laughs) therapist spidey sense Yeah, for, you know, kind of intuiting what's going on with a client, even when they may not know. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe we all have that. Mm-hmm. So you help people feel connected with themselves and find their voice. And I'm, I just love that you bring in music and your voice. And I have so many questions about that. Like one question I have is, what what song is really lighting you up or just leaving you mesmerized now? Mm, that's a good question. You know, I to be really honest. I am just finding my way back to music. Mm-hmm. I had a a friendship and a friendship that was really important to me and a friendship that was uh, centered on music. And when that friendship ended, I kind of kind of closed the door on music for quite a while. It's been it's been about seven months since I've really let myself listen to music again. But I just I feel like the spring is somehow shifting a lot of that grief and and opening me up in a different way. And a friend of mine had posted on Facebook, uh, I think it was last week and might have even been last Sunday, actually. And it was 20 albums, you know, what 20 albums have influenced you in your life. And I noticed he chose Patty Griffin's album. I can't even, Living With Ghosts, I think it's called. And the first song on that album is called Moses. And it's so heart-wrenching and beautiful and it's perfectly right in my range and so I just last last Sunday I was I was actually going to meet Livia for brunch and so driving up to Evanston takes about a half an hour and I literally played that song on loop and just sang it at the top of my lungs in the car and feels like it just like broke open here yeah it really did it really did this has never happened to me before in my life to lose music. It's funny because my my therapist 
uh, practices shamanism as well. And so she's very into ceremony. You know, Susan, right? Susan mm-hmm. Lipschitz? Yes. Yeah. So she en- encouraged me to do a fire ceremony where I I let go of this grief and all the things that I was experiencing at the end of this friendship and and call the things back to me that I felt had been taken. And music was one of those things. And after that, this broke open. So yeah. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting how we can just close the door and it can close on certain parts of us that we just actually didn't want to let go of and to consciously call that back. It's really powerful. That's amazing. And I'm I'm glad you did because it seems like such a part of you. Yeah, it really is. It's always been, I guess, a home. You know, I, I always thought whenever I was younger and people would be like, oh, like, think of your like happy place. And I could never think of a happy place. But I know that I'm always feeling at home in myself when I'm singing. There's an experience that I had where I was I was in a lot of pain um, from a certain medical procedure I had. And mm. I was in the car. I was driving. I was okay to drive, but I was just in a lot of pain. And the only, I was like breathing. I felt like I was even sort of like mm-hmm. having pregnancy breathing, you know. <laughs> and then at some point, I just started to sing. And oh. it completely changed the pain. Mm. It just wow. melted it away. And so it was, I can understand that. And the vibration of that for me, it just made it all fade away. You know, and it's funny, I've never really thought about the the physicality of the vibration that's happening, but you're exactly right. There's got to be something shifting energetically because of the vibration of singing. I literally never thought about that. That's crazy. Yeah. And there's so much that can be communicated through singing that that isn't through just voice, just words. And it's just so many sounds we hit. And so singing makes you feel like you're at home. And I'm also curious, what what else nourishes you? You do so much for the world, for your community. You are just Mm -hmm. out there, sister. You're just out there. I I am. It's so weird. <laughs> ah, yeah. It's, so, it's funny. Like I make myself visible, and then I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm fucking visible!" <laughs> <laughs> right? Like the purple car. <laughs> oh, I forgot about. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Well, it um, also seems like like your your nature is this is just what you love. Like you wanted yeah. a purple car, and then oh gosh, right. you're so visible, and and right. I don't know. I just had the picture that it it's also perhaps that. People in the world are learning to be more themselves and not not the conformed idea of what things should be. And purple, I know a lot of people who love purple. Right? I mean, they should make purple cars, period. But until they do, I will just, I'll lead the charge. Fine. My mom's <laughs> first car was purple. Just saying. Ooh, in Michigan or where was she? In Michigan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Trendsetter, right? You and her are just right up there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you'd asked about nourishing myself. I spend so much time and money on self care. It's not even funny. I I probably should like add up how much I spend on self care in a month because it's pretty astronomical. I would imagine. So I have my therapist. I have a woman that I see for supervision and consultation. I go to Al-Anon, I go to Refuge Recovery, I 
get somatic therapy, I get acupuncture, I work out, and I spend time with people I love. It's like the concoction, the perfect concoction for you. Yeah, I have a lot of support. Ooh, and I have a I have a group of of women who also own group practices that we connect on a regular basis, and so that's another really nourishing community. Oh, that's so great. Especially when there are challenges. Yes. Bianca's in that. I remember you speaking to that. That's wonderful. I remember connecting with Bianca and in other groups where, especially as practice owners, challenges would come up and it was just such a supportive group. And as you are continuing to grow your practice and now you are opening an IOP, what challenges do you come across business-wise or maybe personally that come in? Kind of, I guess, rewinding back to the early days of of my training with Brene Brown and her team, I met a guy named Robert Hilliker. It's funny, I instantly, the first time I saw him, I'm like, you and I are going to do some shit. And I remember, because he said that he was working um, at the Menninger Center, which is in Houston, and they they work with professionals with addiction issues. And I was working at a place in Chicago that was dealing with professionals with addiction issues. And so I went up to him and I was like, you buddy, like, let's be friends. And I could tell like he was kind of, you know, I'm sure you, you do this and I do this now too, where I'm kind of like, okay, like calm down. Like, I know I'm cool and you want to hang out with me, but like, let's chill. I could feel that energy from him. But inside I was like, no, we're going to do some shit. And we, he ended up training me throughout the the time that I was doing the uh, Daring Way training. And then he's getting his doctorate from a school in Chicago. And so he would he would be here about every six weeks. And we just started hanging out and getting dinner and talking and kind of like watching each other's careers. And it was probably after I got the gig at, at Loyal. And he's like, oh, shit, you're like, you're like really doing some stuff, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I kind of think I am. And He's like, we should totally go into business together. And I was like, okay, sure. And now we are. Um, So he has a place in Houston called the Lovett Center, which is, it's like a 15,000 square foot space that's a co-working space for therapists, as well as a group practice and an intensive outpatient. Um, And for anybody listening, intensive outpatient is essentially about nine hours of group per week instead of doing like one hour of individual therapy a week you're in with people you know three to four days a week for several hours Um, and it's just for people who need a more intensive structured way of healing and so he is ridiculously successful in Houston and so we're trying to put up that model here and I really I love the way that the model works in Houston instead of talking about levels of care, which is usually what we do, right? We say IOP and then outpatient and aftercare and all those terms. But he talks about restoration, transformation and integration. And that's so in line with, I want to say Head Heart's brand, but that's very a business speak. But it's in line with Head Heart's mission and Head Heart's values, right? Is that we need to restore our whole souls really recovering from addiction is about transformation. When when people tell me, oh, I can't wait to get back to my regular life, I always stop them and say, no, 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 you're never going back there because that's what got you here. We need a new life. You need to transform. 
I want you to say more, but I was just feeling so touched by these words and absolutely it just resonates with every fiber of my being mm-hmm. and it feels like, Yay! yes, it feels like the world of that work of intensive outpatient of having nine hours a day can just bring that language in and it just already has so much compassion in it. We need that. Right. And I think the other piece of this too, that is extremely important for me is, you know, there's a lot of treatment centers that have either because of bureaucracy or because of personalities, there's a lot, there's a lack of health. And I'm sure you know, as well as any other person in the healthcare industry knows that that the insurance industry is driving clinical choices in mm-hmm. healthcare, and it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we really are going to strive as much as we can to be a healthy organization from the top down. And my staff, it's funny, we've we've been doing some group interviews lately, um, interviewing some new therapists. And I ask the staff to say, you know, talk about, you know, what what does it mean to work here and what does it mean to be authentic and wholehearted? And and one of my staff was like, we can't get away with shit because Sarah doesn't let herself get away with shit. And that's what I want. (laughs) Right. Like, that's what I want to trickle down to the clients, too, is that I'm not going to not look at my own shit. I'm not going to let the staff get away with anything. And so you're not going to get away with anything either. We're all holding ourselves accountable and holding each other accountable. And there's so much seeing and trusting and it feels like seeing every bit of everything and just allowing it to be spoken. Nothing silenced. And when you say it like that, that's that's the exact opposite of my childhood. And so I am patting myself on the back right now for creating the life that I wanted. Yes. You know, yes. Congratulations. And thank you for doing that, because it gives so much for everyone else as well. It's funny how in doing your own work, it all works, right? If if you are really on your authentic path to healing, you can't help but spill that out over to everybody else. I think even regardless of what field you're in, you know? Absolutely. And I think that with what you're saying and what I'm feeling for myself lately as well, with the podcast, there was this real challenge in it with like financially. And at some point I was like, no, I'm not cheap. People don't know this. It is not cheap to do this shit, guys. (laughs) Not at all. It it ain't free. It's free for you, but not for us. (laughs) Right. It's like shockingly uncheap. (laughs) Right. Right. Little did I know. And and yet I felt even more driven after that to continue on because I found Mm -hmm. why I wanted to do it. And it was the deepest reasons are for me, not for everyone else. And I think that right. that's when things truly grow to their best is that it is rooted in what we want. And it's not a selfish thing. It's a very self-loving thing to do. And then it just flourishes. And it, it's because, too, we're not alone. You know, if we were the only people who had these issues, therapy would not exist, period. But the reason that people listen to your podcast and mine, I think they feel very similar, right? And And I think they listen because they relate. Yeah. And that's really what I want to what I want to communicate is that we're human. We're all human. Therapists are human. Healers are human. We're not sitting there just being Zen all day. (laughs) Mm -mm. Well, and and that kind of goes back to your second part of the question about what comes up for me in business. And I tell you, perfectionism, 
I, so I have realized, I realized it earlier in my life that I didn't do anything that I wasn't inherently good at. And I happen to be blessed enough to be good at a lot of things. So I could really avoid doing, not doing things that I wasn't good at. But as a business owner and as an entrepreneur and someone who's really trying to grow into something bigger, I am really bad at a lot of this shit. And my business partner, Robert, we just had a conversation yesterday because he he's a person who's really pretty good at everything. And I continuously compare myself to him and because he's younger than me. So I think, well, I should fucking have more life experience or something. But but I just keep going back to self-compassion because I'm supposed to I'm supposed to learn this lesson about perfectionism. Otherwise, I wouldn't be put in the spot like I avoided dealing with it for a really long time because I could hide from it by doing everything I was good at and now I just can't hide anymore and it is at least once a week I'll be in tears about feeling the shame of of not being good at something whether it's money stuff or stumbling with management questions or just like the, right now there's just this general feeling of there's so much to be done but I don't know where to start and or I don't know exactly what needs to be done because I'm building something even even though we're bringing it from Houston there's a model in Chicago it's it's from scratch and I'm I'm not doing it myself because I've got Robert but here I'm alone <laughs> I'm not I I have my staff and all of that but like I'm I told him yesterday, I'm like, uh, the emotional labor of birthing this is, I was like, I don't know that you understand how significant this feels to me and how how clear it is to me that everybody's eyes are on me right now. And that's a lot of pressure. Well, that's so I'm just a trying lot. to, yeah, I'm just trying to be compassionate with myself about that because it's, it's a reality. I, I realized at a certain point a couple of years ago, I am never going to have a day again where I don't have 50 unread emails in my email. That, that's just not going to happen ever again. And I have to be okay with not being able to do everything. I find that when I'm birthing something, as you're saying, when I'm creating something, when I'm lifting something off the ground into action, the challenges that I'm receiving in myself if I don't face them, it prolongs the process of things moving through or people coming in on the other end. And then when I do break through, if I do, usually I do because I just don't like to leave it that way undone. But if it breaks through and I experience people coming in, like I'm speaking specifically for my retreat last year, um, I saw that a lot of the people were that were coming in were experiencing the same kind of belief set that I was working through or that I had worked through and that I was in a different place at that point to receive them. And it was like just completely necessary for me to go through those emotions. And, and when you think about addiction and IOP, like a community of people in group that want to do this deep work, it, of course, perfectionism is going to be huge. It's like you're birthing <laughs> the healing of perfectionism through you as this comes out. Ooh, well, we'll see about that. I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> and that may be a, a you know an ongoing process, of course. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how often 
I'll be with client. I only see clients one day a week now, but I find that there are always themes of the day. And usually the themes are something that I am also dealing with as well. Mm -hmm. So it's this beautiful parallel process that we're always having. Yeah. And it's this like evolving and dance of the uh, unconscious stuff that's coming through both of us, all of us. So let's shake things up, Sarah. I want to just ask a few questions. I, I think this is, is this pretty fun round? to do. This is the lightning round. And I'm just yeah. going to toss out a few questions and whatever comes to you through your heart, your mind, um, feel free to share. Ready? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with this one since you've referred to the work that you're doing now. What job would you be terrible at? Oh, fuck. I, I had, oh, what job would I be terrible at? I would be a terrible actuary. Why is that? Numbers and details? Nope. Mm. Just nope. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you spend the most time thinking about right now? Work 100% and trying to remember all the things that I need to do. Sounds like a long list. Yes. Okay. And what's something you like to do the old fashioned way? I still like books. I don't think I'm ever going to get into reading a Kindle. I like to highlight in the book. Oh, yeah. Totally old school way, yeah, right? Totally. Feel the pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I need to see my own highlights. I recently saw a therapist post on Facebook a page out of Mercer Mare's books. Do you know Mercer Mare? No, and these little, I don't. Um, I, are they mice? <laughs> I, can't, I don't even know what they are. Aww. But they're cute characters, and they came with audio of the story. And I loved these books. And she pulled out a page that said something like, I felt like crying, but I didn't, and I was brave instead. Oh, yeah. And then she crossed it out and said, I f yeah, I saw that too. I don't remember who that was. Yeah. Um, oh, I just met her on Facebook, and I'll just leave a shout out to her in the links or something in the show notes. But she said, she crossed it out and said something like, I felt sad and cried and was brave through, I don't know, through feeling it or so it was much more eloquent than what I'm saying. And I and I was also brave, I yes, think. That's it. Yeah. Love that. Let's write in all the books and and shift shift the shame out of everything, right? Yes. Okay. When was the last time you changed your opinion or your belief about something? I guess this is a little big, but I guess that it's a big question anyway. But I have a couple clients of mine who voted for Trump. And I am opposite of a Trump lover. And so it was shocking to me to find out that they had voted for Trump. But I think I'd had in my head a picture of what a Trump voter was and all of the all of the attributes one might uh, give to that person. And they are very different from the clients that I have that mm -hmm. voted for him. And so I decided at that point not to hate Trump voters because I really love these clients that I have. Mm. And that's, I, I haven't changed my mind about <clears throat> Trump the person, but I've changed my mind about Trump voters. That's huge. It's such a big thing in our country right now and in the world. But yeah, yeah. just little bridges like that will help. <laughs> if only it were the U.S. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. right. Okay, well, I think I will end it with one last question um, that's just maybe a little more fun, but what's something you feel that most people would be curious or intrigued to know about you? I had 
pet skunks as a child. You did not. (laughs) Well, my dad did. And we did not live with my dad, but he had skunks over the years. There were four of them, Ratso 1, Ratso 2, Ratso 3, and Chloe. And I don't know I don't know where I don't know where Chloe came from. But yeah, we my my dad liked to bring home weird animals. There was one time he brought home an alligator and my mom was like, Nope. Oh my He put it in the bathtub. We had ducklings. I stepped on my first baby duck and killed it, which was a very traumatic pet death. Yes, my first traumatic pet death. And yeah, and the skunks. So I've had many exotic animals. Wow. Did you ever get sprayed? No, they have to take them out in order to sell them. Okay. Oh, wow. So That's the, an interesting the skunks thing. would do, yeah, they would do their little dance, like, I'm going to spray you. And they'd be just like pissed if you like corner them. And, and then they do the little, they do the stomp and they put their tail up, but nothing comes out. It's pretty cute. Yeah, it sounds like it. Except they're just pissed. They're, but they're still so cute because they, they can't get away. They run really slow and their tails are so thick. You can actually pick them up by their tail. Oh. And it's not, it's not, it's not actually abusive. Like it's, their tails are made to be that strong because that's how the mother would carry them around. So it's kind of adorable. That sounds so fun. I'd like to have a pet skunk. You could. I mean, they're just like, you know, if you had a ferret, it smells like a ferret. It's a rodent. So it it smells like a rodent because it's got very oily, a very oily coat. But they go in litter boxes. So they're not very different from cats. They just can't jump. (laughs) I didn't know that. No. Well, their legs are probably like not even the length of my finger. So they're, they're tiny little stubby legs. Don't don't go very far. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me. It's really fun to talk to you. Is there is there anything else you want to share today before we end? Uh, I mean, I guess the last thing I would just love to share, my podcast is called Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And as I said before, I think our podcasts both have very similar feels. So if, if any of your listeners, if they like your podcast, they'll probably like mine too. So Absolutely. you can find me in all the same places. Yes. And where can people find you? So headhearttherapy.com is our website and they can pretty much find everything on there. Uh, The Conversations with the Wounded Healer, we also have a Facebook page for that. And yeah, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and Spotify, all the places. Great. Thank you so much. And last thing, Sarah, you're holding a retreat for therapists. Is that right? Yeah, we haven't figured out the details, but... I think Livia and I are actually meeting tomorrow to try to pull the trigger on where we're going to have it. We want to do one. I think we'll do one here in the States and then we're going to try to do one out of the country in the winter. Yeah, I saw this little shout out for any good locations in the area. Excellent. I can't wait to hear more. Good. Well, thank you so much. Ditto. As we come down to the end of our episode, I can't help but feel inspired by Sarah's uh, just putting herself out there in the world and going for it in her completely special way. And I can use some of that in my own life. I'm so grateful that you joined us today and listened in. And as always, you can find Sarah's information and the show notes on my website at candicewoo.com podcast. Before you go, I'd also like to invite you to listen to other episodes on that same link or become a member of my weekly newsletter and the Embody community at candicewoo.com slash embody, where you can get lots of free resources, different meditations, and information about events coming up. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Embody podcast.